I wish I could give all I'm longing to give. I wish I could live like I'm longing to live. I wish I could do all the things that I can do. Though I'm way overdue, I'd be starting anew. And starting anew we are today uh, with the words there of Nina Simone uh, from her great song, I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel To Be Free, read by my guest Katie M. joins me on Changemakers with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. I'm Michael Heyman and welcome to Journeys of Discovery. Over the course of these conversations, we explore fundamental questions about what it means to be human that accompany nine incredible concerts. Today, our themes are redemption and freedom, and my guest today knows a thing or two about both of those. As founding director of Fine Cell Work, Katie looks to transform the lives of prisoners and ex-prisoners one step at a time, supporting them to finish their sentences with work skills, money earned and saved, and the self-belief to rebuild meaningful, independent, crime-free lives. And perhaps there is no better depiction of Katie's belief in the power of redemption and freedom than that song by Nina Simone, which she describes as the ultimate song about freedom, release, and the longing we all have to break free of inhibition and to be connected. Katie, well, there you have it. You clearly like Nina Simone. <laughs> clearly like, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. Let's talk about what freedom means to you. Freedom. Well, well, Nina Simone said it, really. I mean, it is, you know, it's a privilege to be able to give and to be free to give and to do something you love as well. So so that song, that song really speaks to me. And, and freedom really is doing what you love doing mm. and being able to do it. And not all of us can because... We're scared to, we don't have the opportunity, things like that. Yeah, but also a lot of your work with prisoners are in environments where, where that freedom has been has been taken away, the absence of, of choice mm. or, or decisions. Mm. Um, how, does, how does the sort of, the, I suppose, the negative side of, of freedom work in terms of the absence of it? The constraints of prison. Well, prisons are, uh, can be really, the older you get, the more frightening prison is, actually, because you understand better if you've been working in them a long time. Uh, just how they clip people's wings, it, you know, and their imaginations, their ability to recover. And so they're really quite tragic places, I, I find. But within that, you also see that people want to help each other and want to do good. And all the time you see kindness in prison and prisoners actually can be kind to each other and they respond to kindness and to love and just like you or I would, you know, but they're really in a dark place. So it means more. So at the moment, people are all through COVID, but this is not uncommon. People were locked in a tiny space for 23 hours a day. Many of them had absolutely nothing to do, and there's very little in their cell, and they might be locked up with someone they, they don't like or they're afraid of or who is dangerous, and the wheels of the day are very, very rigid and very narrow and very mm. slow. So I want to go further into that, Katie, in terms of, I guess, the what was there a tipping point that spoke to you about prisoners? Because, you know, looking at your career if you were to tell me that we were speaking to the literary editor of you know the times or, or whatever mm. then I would get it but what gets you from <laughs> being a literary editor to suddenly working in frontline prisons well I think what drew me to prisons and it was very it was a very powerful attraction was probably um, and this I only I think have understood later in my life was identifying with outsiders and being drawn to them. And I would say that I would say it's probably that. Right. And, um, and I think that there's something in you that my mother once said to me, was it the boarding school, darling? <laughs> <laughs> really? I sort of didn't say, yeah, so, but maybe I went to boarding school at seven. So I think that there's something about institutionalization and, 
Um, right. It's something personal. So, it's some personal, you know. But I suppose that's also mm. conceptual, isn't it, mm. in terms mm. of how people are treated? Mm. But was there a personal moment? I mean, did you meet a prisoner? Was there oh, a oh. was there was there a moment that, that I suppose you've given an answer from the head? What was the answer for the heart? Well, the answer from the heart actually was that was when I was twenty two. In twenty two, I was at a, doing a play at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And I met a guy who ran a theatre company that worked in American prisons. And he said, would you like to come and see what we do in audition? And I was absolutely riveted by him. And he was very sort of charismatic. And I went to see this play. And it was it absolutely terrified me. And I thought all the actors were ex-prisoners. I was very naive, you know. And, um, and it was a very rough world. And it was you know, it was rough and, and, and I, it fascinated me and it was something, something drew me to it. I, you know, that was, but it was the Geese Theatre, it was that encounter. Mm. And then I went and worked with them in America. And when I turned up, later on, one of the actors said, uh, you never really thought you'd come. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I was like, oh, you know, they really want me to join this theatre company. And, and they were just, he was just chancing it, the director. So, some, you know, I... Do you, do you remember the first time mm, you visited mm, the prison? Um, yeah, yeah, it was an American prison. And the gates are very frightening. You know, prisons are fearsome places, mm. uh, clanging gates. And you're afraid of the prisoners. I was going to ask, so do you, you, know, do you felt afraid? Sort of, yeah. yeah. You're taught to be afraid. Mm. And so, and then, you know, I did lots of workshops with prisoners and plays with prisoners, and I didn't find them frightening at all. Right. And actually... So the, what was the, yeah. what was the mm. moment of, you know, moving from fear to, I guess, what, confidence? Well, I don't think <laughs> it was very confident doing prison theatre in my 20s. But, but the joy of it was just the, all that barrier and that fear dropping away and connecting with people. But I suppose I've also had the privilege to find out that I can communicate. Mm. And, and it is a joy to communicate with people in prison who are in a dark place and have them communicate back at you. And it's very often uh, sort of, un, it's quite free, funnily enough much more than uh, in the regular world yeah. because there's this kind of direct communication because... And is that people, because it's, it's vivid, it's intense? It's intense and, yeah. and also in a way everyone's kind of de-rolled, mm. you know? They're in uniform and you're this odd person in a strange place who doesn't really belong there actually. And I've had some of my... Actually, yes, that's... <laughs> So the person who founded uh, the charity Fine Cell Work that I got going was became a great friend. And I remember once saying to her, oh, I've had some of the best moments of my life in prison. And, <laughs> and she went, you know what she said? She was like, me too. <laughs> And it, but but, but I, think it's, I think it's that sort of loss of self and that sort of entering into a project together where you're not, you're not trying to manage and control all the time, but you're receiving as well. Now, we've just sat through mm. the dress rehearsal. Um, we're here at the Royal Festival Hall. We've, we, we're, we're, we've been listening to the, to the musicians. Mm. And, of course, you know, a lot of what they've been doing is evoking themes and emotions through music. And you've, you've um, given some great personal tracks and uh, pieces of music that, that mean I mean, something to you. Tell us a little bit about that in terms of the sort of, you know, there's there are things you've talked about, bravery, honesty, speaking to our true selves. I mean, is that, well, I don't want to put words into your mouth. How did you feel when you were listening to the orchestra? Oh, well, actually, what I, what I felt was I was watching the conductor, who is absolutely extraordinary, mm. and thinking about channeling energy and channeling talent and sort of bringing something unified into being. But it's 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 not it's not quite you. It's you and it's not you. And actually, that's that 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 corresponds to my experience 
of setting up our prison enterprise because actually it was about receiving so much kind of talent and commitment and energy from other people and channeling it and a very uplifting experience, yeah. just like the orchestra. Yeah, it's an incredible energy, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Mm. Tell us about Fine Cell Work. Well, Fine Cell Work was set up to train prisoners in a craft skill from which they could earn money and which they could do while they were locked in their cells. And the idea was that this, it, they, what they would make would be very high quality mm. and it would be sold to the top of the market and they would earn money from it. And they would occupy their time by doing the skilled work when they were banged up. So, so when we talk about craft skills, we talk about mm. things like needlework, we talk about yeah. craft. So, so why, why, that, why that particular area of focus? Why needlework? Why needlework? And not woodwork. Yeah. Well, or for woodwork instance, or, woodwork or has some pretty... Or... Well, exactly. Well, think about woodwork and cooking. They have some pretty big tools. And needlework, actually, a needle is quite small. And you can do it when you're sitting on your bed in your cell. And if you move prison, which people frequently do, you can take it with you in a small bag. And then there's something about needlework as well. And this was sort of, I didn't know quite, I didn't understand it fully when I started doing the work. And I'm not a needleworker myself. But there's something about the intense focus and detail of it that can release people mm. from the here and now, the, the kind of mix of concentration and rhythm. So there's a musical side to it and the sort of precision of it. Mm. And a lot of the people we and work with... And losing yourself in Losing your yourself, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Talk us through a little bit about... I mean, I'm, I'm imagining that people are listening to this and thinking, well, what do we mean by needlework? What are the, what are, what are, what's being produced? Because yes. you're, you're going on to help sort of create a market for these goods, aren't mm -hmm. you, in terms of selling them on? Tell yeah. a little bit about what, 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 what the sort of end products are. Well, the, we, our main product, what we're known for, is embroidered cushions, of often of great beauty, uh, which are very exquisitely stitched. And But we make lavender bags and we make bags and we've embroidered shoes and tablecloths and curtains and um, bed quilts. And I, I used to say, um, we'll sew anything for money. And uh, that's about it, really. <laughs> and we've done, we've done, well, we've done a quilt. We've done a wool hanging for the V&A, and we've uh, exhibited embroidered artworks in Sotheby's that have that that have been made in collaboration with really amazing artists like. Cornelia Parker and Ai Weiwei. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the discovery, you know, has been just what's possible in prison, you know, and, and to achieve and, and that, that we they play to the lowest. And I, and I want to go back, yeah. actually, to, to mm. some of the more pioneering mm. times because, you know, wh mm. when you meet people that have been doing things successfully is that mm. it often feels like you've jumped from gilded height to gilded height in terms of the success of the yeah. venture. Yeah. But you mentioned the founder, Lady Anne Tree. Mm. Um, obviously, there were early days, experimental, days mm. which presumably you also experienced in terms of, well actually how do we make a difference how do we make a contribution mm. then in, in, in a very tough area actually yeah no well early on we had two thousand pounds no premises no computer and I was sort of doing it in my I was sort of just writing letters from my bedroom so it was it was a real startup you know mm. and a slightly absurd sounding idea I mean you know that there was no infrastructure and we were going to be getting prisoners to do embroidery and selling it to the top of the market you know, and can, I, can I ask why, yeah. why prisoners for you what what was what drew yeah. you to this as an area that you felt you could make a difference yeah that's an interesting question I think I had I think I just had a strong sense that life is un, had been unfair on them mm -hmm. and and I still honestly so feel a sort that of social 
justice I think feel? So. I think a feeling about justice, mm. yeah. And I think, you know, if you're born into relative privilege, you just have no idea. And I think I was curious about that world. I was So, I mean, I first worked in prisons when I was 22, and I did theatre in American prisons, which was really terrifying, actually. But I kind of, you know, it, 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 it sort of pulled me. It really mm. did pull me. And, and yeah. I, I, I remember visiting mm. New Orleans and Angola prisoners. Is, is, uh, yeah. I don't know if you visited one of the world's biggest, possibly yeah. the world's biggest prison. Mm. But the, the thing that I took away from the, certainly the conversations I had with the people that worked there mm. was, was this feeling that people just lack hope and that actually they lack purpose. And actually redemption is actually beyond that experience if you have no hope. I mean, we're obviously talking about your work here in the UK. Mm. I mean, is, is, that, is that essentially a something that, that is is replicated, do you feel, in, in British prisons? Or, or do you... Well, what we ha- do you mean our work? Our yeah, work? Your, well, I was saying your experience of actually meeting prisoners and, mm, and the state mm, of mind and, mm, the, mm. and the conditions that people are living in. Well, the, the conditions people are living in are absolutely, you know, desperate. And they've got worse since I've been doing it. I've been doing it for 25 years and prisons have gone downhill. And people in prison, and to talk about lack of hope, I mean, a really high proportion of them started with out with very little hope. And there's just an absolute ton of information now out there mm. about the levels of abuse that, they, that people in prison experienced in childhood and the levels of, you know, family dysfunction, uh, parents in prison, violence, brain injuries, you name it, and learning difficulties, which often happen in connection with childhood trauma. And there's some amazing new statistics about, it's a sort of the latest thing, adverse child experiences, ACEs, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, 90%, uh, 91% of people in a young offenders institution uh, had adverse child experiences, which could ex- include uh, a parent on drugs, alcohol, being beaten, being sexually abused, you know, parent in prison, all sorts of things, things like that. And 90% of these young prisoners had ACEs and compared with 10% of the general population. So, I mean, you know, they're they're Mm. generally very injured people who then behave badly, which is not to say that they don't have to bear responsibility for what they do. But I think we're we're talking about something different here, aren't we? Which is, I suppose, you know, on the one level, Mm. Mm. this is an observation about the Mm. human condition in terms of people that are in prison. But you've written, I mean, very eloquently, I think, about, Mm. you know, prisons themselves mm. as you know brutal places mm. which mm. are the antithesis of creativity and of yeah. course you're then bringing in something which is a gentle personal creative yeah. art yeah. and I'm, I'm sort of sort of trying to understand that how does that journey happen because presumably when you meet people very much as you've just described and you say well actually I, I think I can help you through needlework I'm wondering how does that work <laughs> right? how, how, how do they respond indeed <laughs> um, yeah so you would think it would just be a rejection out of hand that's really stupid that's girly I can't do that you know it's embarrassing especially because we, we work mainly with men and it's mainly men in prison mm-hmm. 97% of prisons are men but actually more what you encounter is oh I can't do that and lack of confidence lack of confidence absolutely right. and also in prison you know it's a strange freedom everyone's kind of out of place you know they're not in their normal role are they they're in uniform they're a prisoner so in a funny sort of way you can do weird things in prison and get away with it do you see what i mean yeah. it's like uh, you know you're everyone is in a tight spot and they do the needlework when they're behind the door and so people don't necessarily need to see. But the way the charity grew was through the word of mouth of prisoners telling their mates say, that so it that was, was a good idea. Right. Absolutely, because they could earn money 
and it distracted them from their misery. Mm. And so, so that that was it was had a really strong word of mouth thing. And a lot of them just need something to do. They need the money, and they're attracted to do something creative. Is there an emotional dimension mm. to this? So you talked about the money and, and mm. the time, mm. but presumably when you see the proceeds of what you've created, yeah. or you see the you know you see the results of what you've created yeah. in terms of the cushions and so on, and mm. that may be very beautiful objects. Yeah. What what is the what, what is off, what's the response you get, do you think? Well, I think... From the creator. I think, incre- uh, from the creator, I think the incredible pride. Mm. And actually, often, when you're really miserable and you may be feeling suicidal and you're deeply depressed, and which is, you know, a very common story in prison, the urge just to get this thing finished can see you through that. And so it can have a really profound effect. And I've also had... Well, there was one prisoner who I learnt a huge amount from and who helped me to understand why what we're doing uh, with fine cell work and needlework in prisons is so important. That, you know, And he was able to articulate what happened inside when he sewed for eight hours a day and the sort of long, slow process of change that he went, you know, he underwent. And I've, you know, so, so I think he was definitely the one. And when I first met him, he was... Uh, he was kind of scary looking, you know, <laughs> and, and I got to know him over time. So this guy was in for a very violent offence, and he was, by his own admission, a drunken brute when he went to prison. He was kind of in his late 20s, mm. and he had, had um, got in with his friends were really rough, and they, anyway, so they, they were up to bad stuff, really quite bad stuff. And he and he res- ended up resorting to, he married young, had children, resorted to drink and was never around for his family, ended up going to prison in his late 20s and a serious sentence about eight years and was furious, absolutely furious. And it was everyone else's fault and he couldn't believe what had happened. And he was, after six months inside, he, um, and he once said to me, anger was the only emotion I understood. It was all mm. about anger and revenge. And it was kind of him and his mates and um, being tough and being able to fight. And about six months into his sentence, he met an, another prisoner. He was talking about his, you know, how he was, you know, he couldn't see his kids and how wound up he was about everything. This guy said, why don't you try this? <laughs> he gave him a piece of, you know, he showed him the tapestry and he said, it'll take your mind off it and you can double your prison income. Mm. So the prison income was about 30, 30 pounds a month at that time. So you could double it by, you know, sewing and sewing. And he told me that he he just, and he found it quite hard at the beginning, but he just carried on. And the reason he carried on was because it would give him money to keep in touch with his kids. And phone cards in prison are really, really expensive. And so he would just like keep sewing and keep thinking of that phone card. And he was sewing for about eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And for the first six months, he just sewed for eight hours a day. And he also had a prison job. And he would just, every time in his cell, he was in his cell, he would sew. And he started to calm down. Right. And, and he started, and he was doing it. He always says, I was doing it for a reason. He was doing it. He wanted to keep touching so the touch productivity led to positivity, uh, did it? Uh, yes, and I think, I think, but I think it's something very particular to needlework as well. Mm. It's just very absorbing. Mm. And so it sort of takes you out of your head in a certain way. And what happened was he started having, he started thinking a different way. And he's described the process to me in great you know, very eloquently. And he says that after a while, anyway, it was all about being able to keep in touch with his kids. And after a while, he sort of suddenly, he started being able to look back at his life more dispassionately and, and sort of see where he'd gone wrong. And, well, I was going to ask yeah, that. So, yeah. so I suppose... I suppose Having zon- thought that he hadn't done, you know, it was everyone else's fault. So zoning mm. in on the on the issue yeah. specifically yeah. of redemption. I suppose mm. we've, we've spoken quite a bit about freedom and yeah. obviously you're working with people who have had freedom curtailed. But I think, yeah. you know, obviously, prisons are places where people are are sent 
for one one side, mm. I suppose, is justice, but the other side is rehabilitation. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and a big part of rehabilitation is coming to terms with with things. And I suppose it, is redemption too strong a word, in or, or actually does it actually capture it in terms of what because you know you, what you can point to mm. is people being much less likely to reoffend, mm. having mm. having you know sort yeah. of worked with you. But does that equate to redemption? Does that does that does it lead to things like regret and yeah. uh, well, and remorse or coming to terms with things? Do you think all the time, all the time? And I think we are. I think people in prison are often dogged by regret and remorse and anger against themselves. Mm. I mean, self-harm and suicide are huge issues in prisons. So they carry that, but somehow then you need to move through to some kind of self-acceptance and self-understanding. If you are full of rage and self-hate, then that can be as destructive as anything. And so what with this guy and many people I've seen is they find a process of reconnecting with other people, with their families and with themselves through doing the work. And this guy went on to be the kind of, he sort of, you know, he really changed his life in prison. It took a long time. Mm. And he kept on wanting to beat people up. <laughs> and he did. And he'd go back to his cell and sew, you know. <laughs> it was like, oh, God. But apparently you can't sew when you're angry. So, so I mean, he, 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 he really, it was a process for him. Of, it was a, he, he talked about it as little steps. And sort of by the end of his journey, after about six years in prison, he was in a quilting class and he became the sort of right-hand man of our volunteer who was teaching it. And he did everything, really, to support her and to make sure the right people joined the class and that they had what they needed. And he, he, he changed a lot inside. Mm -hmm. And the, the creativity helped him. And he definitely was on a search for redemption because what he realised was it was his fault. Right. You know, it was his, he had really messed up. And so he, he, he wanted to make reparation. And what we see a lot is that people, when they're, when they're sewing, when they're saving money, they want, to make mm. they want to make reparation. They want to be able to contribute something back to their families or the world, which is good. And if that's not a search for redemption, but I don't, I think we all have that need, you yeah. know. So, but it's, it's, it's worse. I feel very sorry for people who've done bad things because it's a heavy load to bear do, as well. Do, do you, you get know? a sense that what, what yeah. you're doing is going to scale? I mean, do, do, I mean mm. is it sort of, the thing I'm sort of thinking about, you know, there's that saying about how many examples do you need before you've got a trend? No, yeah. So, so are, are these things great individual stories, mm, or mm. do they actually add up to a significant trend? Do you think? Well, I think what well, we have very low reoffending rates amongst the people we work with after prison. We can't track everyone we work with because um, there are issues around data and confidentiality. So going to scale, yes, it's growing, and it's always grown naturally. And prisons have a deep affinity with craft work and artisanal work, and they always have, and it's always been done in prison because people mm. work with their hands. They haven't all got computers and radios, and they never did in the old days anyway. And people desperately need something to do. So actually, there is huge potential for more skilled work, artisanal work to be done in prisons, more needlework. Now, and, yeah. you were chosen mm. as a woman of liberty, which celebrated the 100th anniversary of the suffragettes. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that, because that, what I'm sort of thinking about is that we've, you know, I suppose we've, we've spoken about prison as a place where people who are convicted of things are sent, mm. but also suffragettes were sent to prison. I know. And, and had a yeah. strong sense yeah. of, you know, and yeah. obviously time, mm. time mm. told a very different story than was being told at that time. I mean, 
is there an is there an angle there? Is there an element to that in terms of what, a what that award award meant to you, and indeed the lesson of the suffragettes? Well, the lesson of the suffragettes. I mean, after all, Oscar Wilde was in prison. So you, you went to prison if you were gay. You mm. know. So I mean, you know, society can make mistakes and change profoundly. And so there, you know, it is a. It's not. It's not absolute. The justice system is very very fallible. And the women of liberty and the suffragettes did a lot of needlework, and they were amazing polemicists and publicists and they used prison in the most extraordinary way and funnily enough Holloway which has now been changed into I don't know block of flats or something in a funny sort of way you know it was it was the most famous London and oldest London women's prison it had been a home to actually quite a lot of inspiring women who Mm -hmm. had achieved things and it wasn't just the suffragettes there was sort of a tradition as well of protest Mm -hmm. because actually women if you look at the statistics on uh, the the women in in prison who've been abused it's like 59 percent I mean it's awful you know and so they've been they're very very injured people often and often people have fought for them and they have fought for themselves and amazing things can happen in these places does that make sense so the, the suffragettes are inspiring in that way and I, I wonder you know, if there's, mm. I mean, I mean, and I mean, point's very well made. But in terms mm. of in terms of what what they do to you more personally, I mean, mm. I think I think that's a very good <laughs> summary of what they did. But in, I'm I'm actually trying to get a sense of what makes you tick, Katie, in terms of actually what mm. you know. I'm just thinking about somebody who's been a literary journalist, somebody who has found a sense of purpose mm. Mm. and a sense of calling, I guess, mm. in in the work that you're doing. And I'm, I'm trying to sort of get a sense of well, what are the vital ingredients that sort of get you to tick in this area and to do the work that you do. Well, I think I think for me it was a great it, it was a surprise <laughs> because I, I was drawn to prisons, but this enterprise sort of happened to me, and it just sort of seemed to happen. Up, you know, it was like a plant just growing really big, and mm. and I was like bloody hell, you know. And I kept on learning as I went along how to look after it. But I suppose it's about creativity and the discovery of the creativity in people, and it's that same right. thing about channeling again, and the creativity in prisoners, and the creativity in the volunteers who are an amazing women who would go into prison to teach them needlework with you know and and do an amazing job and the what I learned from them so this kind of just completely flies in the face of kind of what prisons are supposed to be like and what we think they're like they can be creative places they can be places of soul and spirit and connection mm. and that is what people seek and that that's been the that's been exciting to be part of that and to sort of you know be the one who's kind of carrying the baby so i think you like mm. to see potential realized and i think you yes, don't I, and do. I think you don't yeah. like people having the door closed on them no no and our founder actually used to say you know the waste of talent in prison i mean mm. it's absolutely heartbreaking and so yes i think in terms of freedom you know and nina simone's song yeah. you know we, we all struggle with constraints on our potential and our talent. But when you go to these places and you, you see sort of just how unlucky many of these people have been yeah. and are, you know, you, you want to do something about it. And and, and, uh, and, and I suppose that, yeah. that puts you in a, a great tradition of people mm. that, you know, I'm thinking about you know, the Timpson family, yeah. others that have, have really seen that mm. there is a difference that you can make. Because there is there is so often stigma attached mm. to, mm. you know, I, I have a great friend of mine who's an ex-prisoner and actually yeah. he is the most brilliant human being yeah, the yeah. kindest human yeah. being and actually the completely overlooked human being and I think that you know a lot of what you spoke spoke mm, about mm. I I really see that in him and actually 
what I also see mm. is that that people can people can actually change, people can grow. That there are that there are things which are often stepped on that can actually find expression. Yeah. But I suppose that a lot of people that mm. might be watching this might say, well, I don't think that's what prison is for. That's not where you should be doing it. I, I the there's a retort to a repost yeah. to that. Yeah. The repost. Yeah. Well. Well, they've had their freedom taken away. Hopefully, justice has been administered. And prisons are hor- very unpleasant places. And you are shamed. Your life has changed forever. It's really hard to get back on your feet when you get out. I mean, you know, imagine going to prison. It's awful. <laughs> so, I mean, however, if you, if you then take away everything, even more, it becomes cruel and people cannot recover. And most of them want to recover. And 97% of prisoners say they don't want to reoffend. Mm. That is absolutely tragic because essentially, and I see middle class people go through prison system and they have more support networks to get back on their feet when they get out. And so there's also, you know, so the issue of social justice is is there as well. So anyway, I think that I think that prison is the punishment and you have to give people a chance to redeem themselves mm. and to discover something that makes them feel better about themselves because most of them feel very, very bad about themselves indeed. And if you in- enforce that and reinforce it, would you do that with a child? You know, no, because it would damage them too badly and they wouldn't be able to, you know. <laughs> and I suppose just, 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 mm. just thinking about sort of drawing it back to music, mm. I mean, obviously music is a sensory experience. It's something mm. that affects us emotionally, yeah. it affects us at a very soulful level I mean do, do you think in your work that there is a role for music because music obviously means a lot to you I mean mm, I've, I've mm. you know reading some of your own views about things that you associate you know sort of Bach's cello suites or Lucy in the Sky with diamonds or whatever it might be but mm. that, that actually that, that it has done something to you do, do you think there's a role for it in, in, in prisons yeah absolutely and and music is done in prisons and it can be absolutely oh I once saw a, a production of West Side Story and there's that there's that song that one of the gangs all sing. I, it's basically, I could be good. Mm. And there were all these prisoners standing on a balcony singing it with such soul, and, you know, and everyone, tears, you know, were pouring down the audience's cheeks. So music can be done in prison. There are charities that do it. There's something called the Liberty Choir. There's a, there's a kind of prison jazz that's done. And pris- um, so, so, no, music can have a, a, a place in prisons and is needed. And again, the release, you know, imagine singing in a choir when you're inside and the kind of just the rele- the physical release of the voice, you know, because, you know, when you see people inside, obviously they're all a bit hunched yeah, up. Yeah, it's a release, <laughs> right? Yeah. A really, and, yeah. But I think about that, that creative <laughs> release, that emotional release, I mean, that, that yeah. you're in that, in that, that sort of, yeah. you know, very much in, in that sort of area. But, mm. but I was thinking also about something you said, I mean, you, you, you called out Bart's cello suite number mm. one in G major, and you said that towards the end, it seems to rack and sway and it makes me think of a sort of skyward movement a flight towards something ineffable mm. let's let's finish there with why w- what that means to you and i mm. suppose also what's what's your personal flight what are the things that you think about for the future that you're trying to achieve ah well um don't know if they're very ineffable <laughs> <laughs> But um, but I think that the longing, I do think that we're driven by longing for something always out of reach. I think, you know, that mm. and but and for the future, actually, I just would like to to write some more. And and I would like my daughter to have a happy life, which is really quite enough. And so, so it's not very, very, very mundane, really. Very um, personal. And very, very personal. Very hoping to buy a house with a well, garden. <laughs> Will, you yeah. tell, will mm. that future always be about working with the rehabilitation of offenders? I think it's. I think it's a, a big. It's a very big part of me, and I think what I feel more. And more, it doesn't go away. Is I, I feel a, 
a sense of, of anger, really, at this sort of injustice of the world. And this is, this is the area of injustice that I know about. And it was not to say that people who have committed crimes are not accountable. However, the system is pretty cruel and you see, you know, life's unfair. So, so I think it's, I think it's a, a big part of me. And also, they can be, prisons can be very uplifting places to work. That's, the, that's like the, you know, that's the, the unexpected thing. And a lot of people uh, find that. I'm, I'm not alone, you know. And it's that connection you have with someone who, who's open and who you can, yeah. Make a difference. Make a difference. KTM, thank you very much for joining me on Changemakers with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Changemakers with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. You can find out more and book tickets to see the RPO's Journeys of Discovery series live at rpo.co.uk forward slash journeys. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaigns firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Our audio partners are Rode and our soundtrack today, Strauss has also sprack Zarathustra, was provided by the BBC. To find out more about the podcast, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating? <laughs>